Welcome back to our growing experiment. We're here with Daria from Finding Polaris Wilderness Community. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, I guess I do a lot of things, but Finding Polaris has been a project that came to life about three years ago. So we're coming into our third year and it mostly started from a passion and a um, a passion and a drive to connect more deeply with nature, especially from, I think we all have that innateness that, that comes through as kids with the natural world. We're just so drawn and we, you know, we find our bliss so easily through play or curiosity. And then realizing as I was growing older that there was more fear coming through. So like fear of being outside by myself, fear of plants, fear of, fear of mushrooms, just then I started this disconnect. And then yeah, I guess a big part of my life and especially the last handful of years has been deepening more and more that connection and then finding Polaris is an expression of that and is still evolving as, as I go along, but that's a little bit about that work and where it came from. All right. Well, one thing that uh, you said that I, that hit something with me right away was that fear of nature because uh, we just went back to where I'm from. And uh, my parents have a lake cabin and part of me did have a feeling of apprehension going into the lake because it wasn't like a sand bottom. Like you had to walk over kind of like muck and like getting seaweed or not seaweed, but you know, weeds and all mm -hmm. that. And there was part of me that was like a little bit weirded out by it. And then I thought 10 year old me would laugh at me yeah. right now. So just get in the water. And once I got in, it was fine. It was just like, I was a kid again, but there was that, that apprehension. It was, it was a weird thing. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm glad I'm not the only person who felt that, but. <laughs> oh yeah. And it's, it, I mean, there's so many places where that comes from, but I think part of this work in finding Polaris is, is stripping a lot of those stories. Um, mostly, I mean, classic one would be relationship to, to mushrooms or wild food in general. And there's a lot of, of fear around that world, even of, of harvesting your own food. Mm -hmm animals you know like bears and there's just like this fear of of like especially in the night of like unknown sounds is a big one working through that and then just being able to tend to personal needs sometimes like you know not having toilet paper there's sometimes there's fear that comes up with for people of being um in and in more of a survival situation and so a big part of this work is empowering and like you like it's fun it's fun and it's also challenging it's both I think they balance each other out and that's why it's so rewarding but when you strip strip those layers of conditioning and then and then just redevelop this new relation relationship that's really coming from from yourself so. yeah and that's it's it's so funny because a lot I'm realizing how much of that too I think about like I can remember going camping in just a tent out in the woods all the time and thinking about it now a little bit, I'm like, I can't believe I just did that. Yeah. And it was like a time too, it was me and friends. We were out drinking all night, the whole thing, totally irresponsible. I mean, out in the wilderness, <laughs> something happened and we would have been in trouble, but we weren't afraid to be out there in the wild. We're like, oh yeah, there's bears, there's whatever, but it's not that big of a deal. And because maybe I've been, been away from nature for so long, part of me does think like, yeah, if you're out there and you hear something running around, you know, is, is it an animal going to come bother you? They're going to take your food or are they going to attack you? Like there's a lot of questions. So what, what would something be that like, uh, how would you, how would you deal with that say, or how would you um, address that? I guess. Yeah. Just while you were speaking an example that 
that came, it was especially from my direct experience being outside for longer periods of time. Um, yeah, a good example of that would be learning bird language. So when you're in a forest, especially spending ex extended time by myself outside, when you're in a forest and you understand the alarm calls or like what, what baseline forest um, bird song is or bird talk, and then you understand, okay, when, when the robin calls like this or the chickadee calls like this, or when I hear the squirrel alarm, that's off of baseline. So then instead of being in a constant state of fear of like, is there anything around me? If you hear that change from baseline, then you can be like, oh, okay, squirrels alarming in that direction. Potentially there's, there's new activity. It doesn't necessarily have to be an animal, but then, then you can, you know, be more alert and have more, um, what's the word, but like just having more awareness ahead of a situation rather than just being in that state of fear. So that would be one example is like, as when you have more and more um, threads of connection, there's less fear, the fear starts to trickle, trickle away. And also understanding more animal behaviors is, is a big part of that as well. Um, yeah. And that made me think that in a sense, you've sort of expanded like your personal consciousness to the consciousness of sort of the animals that you're in around, mm -hmm. not in the sense that like you're reading their mind, but you're listening to, like you said, the baseline, their energy, their sort of attitude to what's going on. Mm -hmm. And when something changes, and like you said, it's not necessarily something bad, but it's something new. And mm -hmm. so you can redirect your attention to that. So it's like your ears, what you can hear is really local to you, but you can hear a bird and that bird can hear farther than that. And then maybe there's a squirrel there and he's making some noise because I imagine that other bird is listening to the, the sort of natural baseline music of the forest as well. Exactly. And they're hyper aware of us, right? <laughs> they know where we are. Yeah. And I think a lot of, of, of the fear comes from the lack of experience, the lack of direct, uh, direct experience and relationship. So then everything is just unknown. So it, it really makes sense why someone would be in fear. I mean, we're often the fear goes down when we have a level of comfort that comes from trust and like positive relationship and understanding. So when we don't have that and we go out into the woods by ourselves, yeah, it's, it can be very scary. Yeah. And I mean, that's really a natural kind of animal instinct to feel like that. It's like, if you bring say a new cat or dog home, the first thing they do is they go sniff out every single corner, right? Yeah. They want to know where everything is. They'll sit and they'll watch for a long time and not engage. They want to know what everyone's doing. If you're a threat, if you're not. Yeah. And then after that, they'll go and curl up on the rug or whatever. And they're fine because mm -hmm. they've explored their area. And so that's, that's, that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. it, it's one of those things that like, it seems really simple, but that's very profound because you're, you're sort of forced to be very hyper aware of everything around you. And it just seems so like the opposite of what modern life feels like today. It seems like we're scattered in a million directions, but not hearing anything where if you're doing something like that, you're not quite as scattered and you're hearing everything somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing I've experienced in myself and also in the programs when, when, when we're in these hyper stimulated environments let's just say you're like downtown in a city and there's like thousands of, of smells and scents and um lights and like everything you're just overstimulated what happens is that we actually stop engaging and we kind of tune down or numb out our senses and so what 
happens is that you, in some ways you, you create a disconnect in your own body. And so you, your body's so overstimulated that for it to, to stay calm and centered, it actually, it's a protective mechanism to, to kind of block away some of those senses. So a huge part of the wild tending programs in particular is, is to disengage from those and, and just kind of bring the energy down so that people can reconnect to those senses on a level where it's, the, the quality of the sense is still there, but you, the quantity is down so that you can actually like open up to it and actually take it in if that makes sense. And it's, it's amazing. Like I recognize myself, like in my journey, wow, like every single bird sounded the same at the beginning. And I was like, how I would listen. I was like, how do you know? Like, how can you tell the difference? They, it was all so similar, but then you're, you're tuning into those senses and you're developing them so you can hear the changes in the frequency and the pitch. And, and then you get to know the personality of every bird. Same with plants at the beginning. I like, they were all, oftentimes you hear like this wall of green. So people are just, they, they look in the forest and they're like, okay, I can tell that's small plant, medium plant, you know, maybe big plant, but they all look green and similar and just taking the time with the plant one plant to see different expressions of of growth of seeds of flowers of you know stem shape all different types but really like toning things down so that we can redevelop those those senses really and and so many different ways i could go on yeah, yeah well like I'm, I'm really having the thought like of how just how very different that is like it, mm-hmm. it's really just kind of striking me that because like I think about that too there was times where I, I can remember when I was younger and I'd hang out in, in like say not like the forest but we'd have a friend who'd have a property where there was a lot of trees and stuff and we'd be playing some game or we had forts or whatever and it's when you're out there you'd be like oh no, no we go out this way you go around this pa- patch of brush and you go around that patch there and then there's the that's the fort there and then they got their fort over here or and, and not everything looks the same, but I know now when I go and I look, if I were to go walk into the bush, everything does kind of look the same. And it's, and it's like you said, it's really a filter because there's, there's so much stimulus that your brain's like, I need to keep watch of like fast moving objects and all the rest of this stuff is just blurry things I don't need to run into. Mm-hmm. So you just, it's basically a blob thing here, a blob thing there. And like you said, once you kind of shut out all this other stimulus, you see the refined detail in that. And then that also made me think of like an example of a, of a meditation that I remember reading about in a book where it was like about looking at like say a tree and actually thinking about the difference of when you're looking at it this way, or you look at something past it and changing your, like physically changing your focus from something back to the tree. But then it was to bring out the quality of that particular tree. And then you start to realize that everything is very, very different and actually isn't at all what you first think it is. Mm -hmm. It's actually like, well, what is this tree? It's like, well, it's leaves. Well, no, these leaves are actually very different and they're different in this way, precisely this way. And then the bark's different in this. Cause like, I know for me, when I go and look at trees, I have a hard time telling the difference between this tree or that tree. And I always kind of feel like a little bit of a fool because like I came from somewhere further North than here. And I used to have a little more wilderness experiences, but as I got older, it seemed like I just sort of withdrew into uh, the concrete jungle, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's this, this process of, of wild tending. And so, you know, you're, you're learning about plants, you're learning about animals and you're developing those relationships. But a big part of that too, is, is tending the wilderness within yourself. And 
going back to your first question that you asked about, like, you know, tell me about yourself or, or speaking to my journey. One of the most impact, impactful moments in my life was, it was probably I was in, let's say like high school and I started, you know, spending more time outside without like, you know, big groups and it'd just be like me and my friends and we would go and camp for the weekend. And I noticed a pattern that I would dream when I was sleeping outside. When I came back and I grew up in Elliott Lake, which is a fairly small town, you know, but when I would go back into like the rhythm of my house, I stopped dreaming. And I was like, wow, what? And I loved, you know, you're young. You're like, I love dreams. And I was like, why is that happening? I go and I sleep on the earth and my, my dreams were so vivid. It, it just like, it just spoke to me in so many ways. And that was actually what drew me to the natural world and sleeping outside from when I was younger. And so I kept following that thread because I love dreaming. And then I went to university, lost all my dreams again. Like they would come here and there. Every time I went outside and slept on the earth, dreams would come back. And I was like, hmm. and I kept following that. So my dream world is actually what kept me more and more outside. And then everything else kind of developed from that. But in that process, you know, we're tending, we're tending the wild outside in nature, but then also that, that peace within ourselves. So similar to losing your, your senses, you could lose your sense of self and, it's sad, but you know, there it can be very confusing when you lose your your inner guidance of of your own voice and and your true self. And oftentimes, you know, there's all these doors and all these things to do that all of a sudden you're you're losing your yeah, inner guidance is probably the best word. So part of this wild tending process is really going back to like childhood passions and and like you know, creativity and, and bliss, and then re-tapping into that, because that is what fuels our, our visions and dreams as adults and how we can be of service in, in the world by tapping into that part of ourselves. And again, like this is all from direct experience being lost and confused myself. And, and as I spent more time in nature, learning from nature, it was just a mirror right back at me, you know, all my patterns, everything yeah, the way I saw the world and myself was just being reflected to me. So it was a really great way to continue developing my sense of self and learning. It's amazing. Like I'm constantly learning too now, mm-hmm. never ending. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's, re- that's really incredible. I mean, uh, just it's really like in a sense like as what people are we're sort of like this animal thing but then we are also this thing that builds society but then there's that third part of us that's that sort of spirit part and maybe sort of like a three-legged stool you kick out one of those legs and the whole thing sort of falls down because I can't help but feel in in modern society there's a general kind of like a malaise or a sort of nihilism that we have sort of collectively there's there's something we've lost some sort of meaning in life. And like, I, I've, I've like kind of studied a lot about religion in the last 10 years. And I've always been kind of wondering like, what was the real part of it? And I don't think it's so much the part that's in the book. It's not really the dogmatic part. It's the really, it's the experiential part. It's, it's somehow where you use your body as a vessel to connect with this world, but also something that's above that, like this divine, whatever that is in different cultures. I think it's a bunch of different names because I think when you get down to some level, I think 
all different kinds of people all over the world were having basically the experience that I think that you're talking about. And I think that's in part what drew us to towards uh, trying to help promote a lot of the things that like you're talking about and a lot of these smaller scale agricultural businesses, because I think what they're doing on, on, on a level is exactly what you're talking about, where they're, they're working with the animals, they're providing uh, a healthy environment for the animals and a good life for the animals. And then also uh, doing meaningful work and, and really investing in their community in a sense. And um, I, I think that's a hundred percent like what we, what we really need as people. And I feel like every day we're sort of losing some of that. We're becoming more and more digital, which is really when, when you consider like how you're talking about nature and what, I mean, I could argue maybe is a more real reality like that we kind of come from we've actually really become totally detached from that reality. And I guess we live in a total, a real construct. Like it's not a matrix in the sense that we're in like sort of a computer system, but we have a totally disconnected artificial reality that we've created in. And that to me, like kind of makes sense why maybe there's this feeling of a disconnect between like, who am I and where do I fit in the world? And maybe it's because we're actually not really living in the real world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I would, I would argue also that we're always connected, you know, and that, that disconnection is also kind of an illusion. Like, you know, we look at our homes, how, how our homes are heated. The, the rhythms of our day are, are guided by the sun, whether we want it or not, like the sun will rise, the sun will set, whether you watch that sunrise or not, or, or, you know, get guided by where the sun cross, like crosses in the horizon. Like that's, that's still there. We're not necessarily disconnected from it. Um, it's just whether or not we have the awareness of the connection and, and really goes down to relationship, you know, all of our food, like that's all an expression of the natural world, whether, you know, whether it's wild or farm, like that's, that's a relationship, but not, not all of our food has that same depth of connection, depending on, you know, where you're getting your food. And yeah, so I think for a long time, I felt like, very disconnected and then realizing like, wow, actually I'm, my life is actually pretty much an expression of being gifted all, all in all these ways, whether it's like mining or, you know, maybe clear cut forests, you know, to get some of the lumber that makes these homes. And it's still a connection, I guess. It's still a connection at the end of the day. And um, yeah, just really remembering that even when, you know, yeah, if, if you feel disconnected or like in a, living in a small space and indoors all the time, like there's always that connection there. And also within yourself, like that inner guidance is always there is, you know, what, what seeds are you watering? And that will become the expression within yourself or yeah, in your, in your life. Yeah. And, and, and that makes a lot of sense too, where the, the lack of connection really does come from in, in you too, or like, you know, in the person who feels the lack of connection, because like you said, it really is a more of an awareness issue or, or, or paying attention to where you are connected to specific things. Mm -hmm. And, and maybe, you know, if say people get negative feelings about certain practices that we undertake, if they're really sort of in touch with themselves and in touch with sort of how they fit into the natural world, that negative emotion you would have to certain certain practices, even though they say uh, produce a lot of good in a way, 
it's 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 maybe that's that that emotion or that change in you is sort of an indication that another change has to happen sort of in the world and how you relate to it mm-hmm. so be a little more in harmony so that's that makes sense where you're you're paying attention to it yeah, yeah. and a big part of my journey too was just questioning those basic like day-to-day pieces like you know I was thinking clothing was a big piece I'm like what the hell is polyester you know or like and then like how is why am I wearing this why is this on my skin all the time and then it's like what what am I putting on my body or even just like how homes were built I had so many questions about that and then just like really small like learning about the, the industrial world I guess and then wanting to connect and realizing okay for me to connect I really it really becomes more place-based you know and that's where it's like okay well what would my clothing be so then learning about high tanning or felting or or even just repurposing different fabrics more natural fabrics or hemp or cotton and and then learning that and then okay well what if I didn't have access to metal so then you know, switching, like making bowls and spoons and is really, really basic to start, you know, it, it can be quite overwhelming. I definitely got overwhelmed because my drive was so high to learn. And I was like, I know nothing, <laughs> you know, it was sad in some ways because I wish I had learned, like grew up learning this from elders, from my parents. And it's not that I learned nothing or, or that I didn't have a relationship, but the autonomy, the independence, the skills, were not necessarily passed down. And the stories, the songs too, I want to share, like it's such, it's more than just survival. There's a whole culture to like remembering songs and sharing songs and, and dancing and tending fire and community building. Speaking your truth is a big one, like learning healthy communication to be in healthy communities with people, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> And that, and you saying that too, with the the passing on of the stuff from the family too, that made me right away think of like, um, so like my dad's from Newfoundland. And so a big thing in Newfoundland is like the kitchen parties. And this is something that I think they used to do a lot more maybe when around when my dad was back there, but I don't know if they do it as much anymore. Maybe they still do. But the idea anyways, is that a couple of people would come over to your house and you'd sit around drinking and everyone would play like guitar or they'd play the accordion and the spoons and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't like you put a CD in or you turned on your iPod. They, they all knew all these songs, a lot of them probably local, and they would sing all night. And you got to think like, even I know when uh, there was one time when we went to Montreal and we went to this bar, Du Piro or something like that. Uh, du Piro. Yeah. We went there and had live music. And being in a, a little bar with that live music, you're, you're, there's so much energy in the whole room and you're kind of connected to everybody in the room. Everyone's kind of moving to the same beat everyone's kind of bobbing their head and you're just immersed in the whole sound of it. And, um, but yeah, but that, that part of passing stuff on from, from generation to generation, like I think about like, um, well, the closest thing I had to a grandfather with George there and he made bowls and did all kinds of stuff like that. And I always kind of thought like, you know, why would you do that? I guess. But now thinking about it too, I'm like, if I had to have a bowl, where would I get a bowl? You know, like, let's just say for whatever reason, I couldn't go buy a bowl. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it seems sort of simple, but it's actually a pretty complex skill when you actually dive into it. We just take for granted because you can just go to the store and get a bowl and it's relatively cheap. You're like, oh, it must be easy to make one of these. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if it's easy to make one of these, I'm obviously smart because I'm a modern <laughs> person. And let me just, you know, whip up a bowl. And then, like you said, you go and you start to actually do something. 
And then holy cow, does reality ever make you humble? Because you're like, oh, I actually don't have any idea what I'm doing with anything at all. Mm-hmm. And it's like, in a, in a sense too, like it makes me think of like, um, sort of, uh, I don't know if you call it like a new age maybe, but like where people are sort of in this quest of enlightenment. It's like, ironically, enlightenment is realizing that you're totally in the dark in a sense where it's like, oh, I don't actually know anything. Like that's almost like the first step. You're like, I don't actually know anything. And there's a good chance that nobody else knows anything either. And so let's go and try to like actually do things. And then I'll actually know something. Mm -hmm. And then, then you have a whole life that you could spend learning and doing new things forever. And if you want a life that has some meaning in it, I mean, holy cow, that's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What that brings up in me. And I hope in the future, finding Polaris is more engaged with rites of passage, but a big journey in my life has been rites of passage work. And again, culturally, it's not very common. And that brings in humility to just this degree that's so beautiful, right? And that it's so needed to to spark so much. But yeah, just being able to go into a place of darkness or, or a place of suffering or a very challenging situation by yourself. And then returning to a community that's supporting and seeing and marking like, yes, you are, you're going to this new stage or um, expression of yourself and, and really marking it with a rite of passage. And oftentimes the rites of passage there, there's, it's a challenge, you know, it's not easy and you have to get through it yourself. And there, it's less like you're not being spoon fed. So you have to develop that inner whatever you want to call it, that inner something that gets you through it. And it's so, it's such an individual experience. Right. And um, yeah, I'm hoping to offer more of that in the future, but all in good time. Yeah. And, and that's an awesome idea. Cause that's, that's definitely something that I've read about a lot in reading about a lot of religion and sort of mysticism. You get into that and you find out about all these different rites of passages that existed for pretty much everyone's ancestor for forever. And a lot of people still have these rites of passage, but it's interesting because like, say for us here, example, in the West, we have this idea of a teenager or adolescence, right? And we think, well, that's just been around for forever. It's like, no, that only came around like probably 50, 60 years ago, maybe 70 at most. And before then it was like, you were a kid and there was a certain thing that would happen or there'd be a certain point where it was like, okay, you're a man or a woman now. And it's expected that, you know, we have these sort of expectations in our community. And like, that goes right back to being in tribes and everything else. Cause I, I, I don't know where it was exactly, but the idea was basically in this a certain kind of tribal atmosphere. Um, once a boy got to a certain age, he was like removed from the mother. And what they would do is like the mother would be in a, and I ain't going to TP with a bunch of other women and they'd be doing what they were doing in there. And the men would actually like basically break into the TP in a sense, like they'd like kind of come in all guns blazing almost grab the boy and drag him from his mother. And you have to think like, that's a horribly traumatic experience in a way. Cause of course he's like being grabbed and pulled away from his mother who he obviously loves very much. And so he's like, Oh my God, I'm losing my mom. And then even after that, they wouldn't let him go and talk to his mother again. But part of that trauma in a way, there was, there was a need of that separation because if you're living in a tribal atmosphere, you can't be someone who runs and tries to hide with your mom when you're out there fighting to, to make it, get, you know, hunt your food for the day. Or, you know, if, if you're living, especially right in nature and the chances of dying are pretty high, if you mess up, you know, you got to have, you got to be able to rely on your fellow hunters. 
-hmm. And, you know, so part of that sort of traumatic experience was actually to, um, I mean, really, really drive home the point of like, you know, there's a certain expectation here and things are serious, but I don't know that maybe I'm missing the point on that, but the, the point really, I guess, is like, there's that clear delineation and sometimes trauma is a part of it, but it's like, after that, I imagine there comes a lot of like, well, there's a new community, right? So now that boy, instead of living amongst the women and stuff like that, he's living amongst the men. And so they're going to take him under his wing and, and they're going to say, okay, this is how we hunt. This is how we make this. This is how we make that. And so he becomes a part of something else. And maybe in becoming part of that something else, he becomes something else. And maybe that ripping away from the mother is actually symbolic of a second birth, just like we're sort of ripped away from our mother in a sense when we're born. You cut the umbilical cord, that connection, that physical connection is lost. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's why they, a lot of these sort of uh, rituals are sort of, there's a rebirth aspect. And with that birth, there's sort of trauma because that's the irony of childbirth even, right? A beautiful, beautiful thing that happens and lots of love, but there's tons of pain and like sometimes death. It's, it's a very like hyper surreal uh, experience. And like maybe that's part of it too, where we don't know if we're grownups now, like it's a common thing. You'll hear people say, you know, I'm adulting. And it's like, adults don't say adulting. Adults just do things that adults need to get done. Like there's the responsible adults. And it's just funny because we sort of tried to make things easier on people. But what we actually did is we've cut off a whole nother level up experience of their life in a sense. So that rite of passage, I I love that idea. I think that would be awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in some ways there, there are rites of passage, you know, and uh, in, in modern culture, and that might be, you know, getting a car could be a rite of passage for a person. Buying a new home could be a, a rite of passage. Having a baby could be a rite of passage. And so there is, you know, getting a job could be like this rite of passage where someone might have that moment in time and feel like, yes, I'm stepping into this, uh, this new, maybe more evolved version of myself. So that same essence is just expressed in a, in a way that might not be as healthy um, or sustainable or community-based, you know? Well, it's Rather- like holistic, right? It's getting the car and getting something back in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Versus like if you are held in a very classic rite of passage would be a vision quest, which would there's so many tr- tr- like ways to do it. So I don't necessarily want to speak to one, but it's, it's an experience, a solo quest that w- would mark a new version of yourself. So you return to the community as an, as a different person. And that community also welcomes you as a different person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really important that these, these pieces are, are held and they're not just like, okay, you're going to go through this trauma, this really intense situation, and then you're just going to go home the next day. You know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's really, it's a container that that's held so that things can be processed and it takes time, you know, it really does take, it takes time and, and really deep presence with that person and also creating the space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Those and that's interesting when you were talking about how we sort of have modern rites of passage in a way. And it made me think that like maybe in a sense, like with the modern world, we could just maybe figure out a way to 
highlight something about that in a different way. Like it is materialist to get in a car in a sense, but let's say uh, because we live in an easier world, you can argue that you could prolong the childhood phase another three years. I think lots of rites of passage would have happened around 13. So let's yeah. just say you bump it up to say 16 and maybe it's just getting your license, but maybe part of that is you sort of create a sort of ritual atmosphere around it in a sense where it's like, you know, you take the kid to go and say, get his driver's license and then you let him drive home. And then you say like, you know, Hey, you're kind of an adult now. I mean, you can get behind the wheel of a car and that's a serious responsibility, you know, and, you know, and this actually maybe marks a time where we're going to expect more from you around the house because you have a lot, you have a responsibility here and a privilege. And, you know, we think you can handle more because we think you're an adult. And then so um, the other hand of that comes a little more freedom and all that kind of stuff too, because when they take on their new adult role, one of the benefits of being an adult is that you have more freedom. It comes with more responsibility. So you kind of get a little bit of that in a modern sense, but maybe again, like you said, the connection is really like the being conscious of what you're actually doing. And um, you can even attach meaning to that in a sense and use that as a small rite of passage, if maybe not as dramatic as a, a say vision quest type of thing, because I think that all that, that I think that's a totally different level of thing, really, in a way like I, and maybe I'm being romantic about it, but the sense that it gives me is that's going to be a, like a much more profound, like, um, maybe even like pseudo sort of, um, what's the word, psychedelic almost. Cause like, maybe like, I don't know, that, that feels like really intense, that kind of thing where like the more, the thing that I kind of described seems like sort of an, an easier entry kind of thing in a way too. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, I, I guess that's a ramble, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, it makes me think just culturally too. And you kind of uh, touched on this that like in your teenage years like the stories I've been told is that when you were like 13 16 that same time frame that you would actually have all your your skills your survival skills you would know all those and then from that point you would be of service to your community you would give you would create you would tend and you would hold responsibility and oftentimes we people get stuck without those rites of passage whatever they are they stay in that childhood phase of their life and they no longer transition into like the adult, the caregiving, the, the, the of service time of your life where you're giving and you're also receiving in that process. But we can stay in a very young culture because of that, that lack of rites of passage. And I would also add that, you know, a day in your life could be a rite of passage or um, even like the wild tending programs, like that, that can be a rite of passage, but there's just, there's like, everything's on a spectrum, right? So we can have, yeah, spectrums of what that means, but really if you're in a phase of, of separation, integration, and then returning, that's a rite of passage. So you could, you can engage in that on a day-to-day -day basis in just observing your life or, or holding those questions yourself, but it's a different scale when it's a bit more structured and you have community and yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, and that's, that's a really different experience too. When you're talking about a more traditional kind of uh, rite of passage in that sense, because there's much more of a community thing, but that, that kind of brings back to that other core part that needs to be there that maybe helps make that rite of passage sort of work like it's supposed to is being actively involved in a community 
where it's like you go through that thing and there's a clear group that you come into sort of or a, can recognize your change as going through that rite of passage because that's the other interesting thing about people is that we kind of act stuff out so it's like they say okay you're an adult now so do as the adults do right and so you start acting that out and part of that is like you don't know what you're doing yet but you're sort of acting out what you're supposed to be doing in a sense so you're learning how to do it by doing it sort of in a way. And then that, that, that act, I think kind of actually changes how you think about yourself because there, there becomes a point where you're actually someone different because you've been actually doing something different. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe that's when the rite of passage is really real for you in a sense. It's like, Oh, hold on a second. A few months ago I was like this and then this happened and I started acting differently and now I'm actually a different person. And then it kind of makes you really think about too, you know, who are we as people when it's like, really, it's like, it's not just the things you do, but it's sort of how you relate to the world in a sense. Like it's because if if you can change what you do and change who you are in that way, then it's like, well, who you are at the core must be something a little bit different than that. Because that, if that can be changed, then that could arguably be changed in almost anybody. So then, then you're a layer deeper now though, which is maybe a little more of that connection to say source or to your environment that I think maybe we're sort of calling out for in society, why there's a lot of people making movements to doing this kind of stuff and, and going out and, and rewilding and getting involved in the, in, in the, in the beautiful world we live around in. Yeah. And a big piece of that, like some of my most intense wilderness immersion experiences, especially in group contexts, has been shifting from a state of victimization to a state of empowerment and how your your thoughts and like how you do anything is how you do everything, right? And so in these wilderness situations and let's say like more survival settings where you can't run away, <laughs> you know, there's no running away. There's no seeking those, those comforts and like, oh, I'm not feeling well, so I'm just going to ignore this thing and just go to this thing that feels good for a bit. And so you, you realize, and this was as a group, like how, yeah, how many, or how, how much like our baseline thought pattern can be, it can be states of victimization. And that show that changes how you show up in the world. Right. And so when you start developing that awareness and you can shift it to empower yourself, then wow, does that ever change how you show up in your life? Right. And yeah. Well, that victim mentality that you're talking about makes me think of something I heard the other day um, where it was like talking about like, say, if someone says something mean to you and you get hurt, it's like you think they hurt you. But isn't it your response to what they said? Because in a sense, you're giving them sort of power over you by letting them hurt you. Mm-hmm. And so if you're the victim, that basically sort of suggests that something or someone has power over you right and so that might be true but if you shift your consciousness to thinking about yourself as a person that can deal with um uh uh hard situations or or challenges and if you think of yourself as a person who's sort of self-contained then that person who's sort of shooting an an arrow at you in, in the sense of like an insult or whatever if you don't have that, you're like, well, I mean, that's your opinion about who I am. And I guess you're entitled to that. I don't see the things that way, but okay. And then mm-hmm. it totally changes it where you could be like, well, whatever, you're stupid too. So blah, blah, blah. And then now you're, 
you're, you're giving, you're giving this sort of energy in a way where you could sort of just say, no, I don't really think that's the case. And, and that's fine. And, and so that change in mentality is too, when, when you're in a situation like out in the, in the wilderness saying you're in a group situation and something needs to happen because there's a pressing, uh, something, something happened, you know, then, well, you're like, well, I can do this cause I've done stuff. Like I I'm, I'm capable. You think I'm capable. You think I'm strong. You think maybe I could be the hero, you know, that I need to be for my tribe or my community right now. And you, you step up and you're, you, you'd be admirable. You'd be courageous. You'd be, you be all the things that I think is what really makes the human experience really beautiful. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence. We tell all these hero stories. I don't think it's a coincidence. We fall in love with superheroes. I think it's because there is part of us that knows that we are capable of being basically a superhero. It's like, there's, there is that transcendent element of us. And, and I think it really is, you have to think, you know, I'm, I'm not the victim here. I'm potentially the savior of the story. And, not in a way that's arrogant where you think it's all about me because really the savior of the story, if you really think about it serves and and you kept mentioning that you kept mentioning serving when you become an adult, it's not just, I get to do whatever I want. So I'm going to eat cake all day and whatever else it's how can I be of use to the people around me? How could I maybe leave this planet a little bit better off than I walked into it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you want to have a meaning life? It's like, holy, that, wow, that's, that's an awesome place to start. And, and, and why not be admirable? Why not be courageous? Why not be, why not be strong? Why, why choose to be weak? Why choose to be a victim? I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that, that really, that really hits me there. Like that's, uh, that's, that's something, I mean, that's it. It seems simple, but it's it's very, very profound if you can really kind of wrap your head around it that because I mean, that that's what I believe. And it's it's I love hearing that from somebody else that it's like, you know, no, it's you don't have to be a victim. You kind of decide who you are. It's, it's up to you. And the cool thing about that is like if I know that you can say that and I know that I can believe that I, I know that there's some truth to that. And I mean, that means you know, maybe I'm not the superhero of the story, but maybe I could be a little bit better and a little more service and be a little more like a hero. So it's just that little increment closer just makes you a little bit closer to the ideal in a sense. And we're, we're human, so we're not perfect. So we can't be the perfect ideal, but progress towards the ideal is good. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think in the, the rewilding um, transition, let's say, I often hear from people like, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could take the time. I wish, you know, I was bold enough or courageous enough to, to sleep outside by myself, it, especially as women. Like that was a big part of my journey as well is like just being comfortable alone in the woods again. And all of these, let's say states of victimization or going back to fear, it comes up and, and we create these limitations. And then people come for the program and prior to the programs, we work through all those. And I just say, as long as your heart's in it, we'll get through it. Like, trust me, everything will fall into place and all the teachings you'll need to receive will come to you, but you, you gotta be, it has to come from a good place. And, um, yeah, just realizing that people thrive once, the, once they get past those self-imposed limitations. And it's good to have a program like that, where you can get there with the support right because for you to just like go out in the woods it's like you said it's very scary but 
being in a program where you're with other people who feel the same way and there's somebody kind of guiding you, I think that's a great way to thrive, right? Yeah. And the programs last year, I offered a month long. So it was a, a month long rewind, like a wild tending program. And this year we're doing 10 day experiences and people are often like, can you do like a weekend or like a day workshop? And I, I'm like, no, I, I can't offer that because for you to, first of all, like when you come for a program like this, the first three days, like people are detoxing from like sugars, caffeine, alcohol, maybe smoking all these different things. And then you're, most people sleep a lot. They're like, their whole body is just like reassessing to like being able to, you know, temperature regulate or wake up with the sun. And it's like so much stimulus, right? People are tired and it takes like, takes days for people to actually be regrounded and then ready to learn and take in, you know, all this, the skills and all these pieces. So yeah, it takes time. (laughs) And that's part of the journey and and the beauty of it. It's not instant. And I'm still on a a lifelong journey of of putting myself in different experiences so I can be challenged and and grow. Mm -hmm. Well, and and what you're saying there too, is the first few days that people are going there, it's like, I'm almost like detox is like the right word. It sounds like they're coming off hard drugs, basically, like, you know, they're sleeping all the time because and it's just the normal, say, drugs we take in life all the time, staying up too late, drinking coffee all the time, drinking too much booze, too much uh, tobacco, all that kind of stuff. And in a sense, that's a, a way that we're driving a wedge between us and sort of our world. And then you come out and start taking an experience like what you're offering there. And that's the first thing you're going to do is you're just going to sleep. And you got to think like, how zapped is everybody all the time right now? And it's like, how can you expect anybody to be healthy when we're walking around with potentially like three days missing sleep all the time? Like we're all running at like 75% if we're in good shape by regular, regular terms. And you go and you replug into mother nature for a little bit. And she's like, oh, wow, you need rest. I'm going <laughs> to sit you down for a little bit. We're going to yeah. get nice warm tea and we're going to take care of you because you're in some rough shape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's and like one thing that was actually really clear to me when the the first moment you got on like even coming through the camera you have a, a very clear kind of like energy about you in the sense that like you look very alive like you don't look tired in any way you look very like 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 you're a good advertisement for your what you're doing because it's like oh wow she looks like she's not tired every day when she gets out of bed it's like, I would like to just have that. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. It's like, how, teach me, teach me your ways. Let's, how, how do we do this here? And I, it sounds like what you're offering is like an extremely valuable service. And that's uh, amazing that you like, you keyed onto that or you, you were able to take your experiences and, and develop this kind of program because really with your rights of initiation that you were talking about, I mean, really you're already doing a right of initiation, but it's, and then I guess what you're actually doing in the right of initiation part that you're talking about is maybe the next step up from that. So you're, you've kind of already created like a, a, a step program, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And part of the, the, the program too, we work with people prior to showing up. So a lot of the, like, we'll speak to like transitional exercises for people to start rewilding just where they're at, like at home. So it's like, okay, we can start this transition right where you are just you know asking questions some exercises and then we we talk a lot about food and diet is a big piece your rhythms 
breath work is a big piece like yeah temperature exposure and just like being outside more whether that's taking your shoes off and just standing barefoot that's it you know it could be as simple as that and then just getting people to add in those practices while they're at home and then while they come to the land it's it's kind of a, a full-on piece because it's a lot like you're learning a lot in a very condensed period of time yeah i have to imagine that would be like a, a pretty intense experience because like even even uh, lately because we started getting our our uh, greenhouse going again our growing dome there mm -hmm. i uh I had a little bit of time there last weekend and the weekend before. And so I took time just to sit in there. And especially on the, the particular days that I sat in there, it was a nice sunny day. And you're sitting outside, even though there's snow on the ground around you, you're sitting in like 25 degree weather in your backyard with the sun coming down on you, but there's the greenhouse sort of um, panels there. So it's not direct sun. So it's not like too intense, yeah. but I just kind of was sitting there and like you said, breathing, right. And just trying to focus on that and relax. And it's like, even, even being in that little connection with, the plants just around you in that sense and breathing. And I was thinking about like, you know, the lights up there, the sun, it's coming down on me and thinking about being warm and stuff like that. And it, it's, it's like, a, it is it, like, I, I love that. I love going in that dome more all the time. Like I go in there and I kind of tend to plants and it's nice and easy because things are all raised up, but like then taking the time to sit in there and just kind of, I mean, maybe part of it's being around all those other plants and just kind of sitting in there and just taking a minute just to kind of breathe or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, that makes sense too. Like, uh, there's a lot of stuff we could kind of do, do at home that could kind of rewild us a little bit. Cause I, I have to imagine if you didn't do that, do you have people that like get there and get scared and drop out? Cause I have to imagine that it might be like really intense for a lot of people in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've had people leave early and that's okay. You know, like we work through that. Um, but yeah, we're in good communication along the process. But if someone's time is done, then their time is done and they can, you know, they can leave early and that's okay. But generally people stay and want to stay longer. <laughs> like, yeah, people stay and they're like, I don't want to go back. Yeah. I don't want to go back, you know? Yeah, I yeah. can definitely say it both ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that kind of reminds me, um, there was uh, this documentary they did, I think it was somewhere in Siberia, it was called Happy People, I think. And they talked about like, there was a group of people that was living sort of like a little more tribal. I, if I'm not conflating a couple of stories here, I think they still had something to do with like herding reindeer. And there was basically um, a community of people that would like go out there and they were like really happy out there all the time, even though it's like bitter cold all the time because they're living in Siberia. And then there was some groups of people that would go into town and it was like when they went into town, it was like, it wasn't long until they started drinking a whole bunch and then they were just miserable and a total wreck. And then someone would kind of come back, grab them, bring them back out. And then all of a sudden a few weeks go by and they'd be back to being happy again and all that. And it reminds me of even there was stories. I think when, uh, when Canada was being colonized, there was stories of people running off to be with the tribes, but there was never tribal people running off to be in what, was called society and you got to wonder how civil is society if people are running away from it and not running into it mm -hmm. right well said <laughs> yeah. yeah and that that makes sense too or at the end of it you'd be saying like oh yeah i don't want to i don't want to go back to whatever that was yeah. i want to stay out here where <laughs> you know where you where you have that connection and so like yeah and That's i I would add to that in 
in my experience and in my journey, I, I had put myself in some really intense situations where questions for me of, of the middle way came up, you know, um, where, yeah, just like really intense cold where it was kind of dangerous and exposing myself to that for a good chunk of time and, and seeing how that did change my body and not really liking, like my body wasn't a state of survival and it was very intense, you know, and integrating that experience, it was like, okay, wow, there's this state of surviving in nature and also a state of thriving and that you can meet your basic needs and still be very connected and not have to be in a, a survival flight or fight state because that's also very real and can be romanticized like very easily and I've done it myself like for years you know um but yeah finding a middle way in that journey and and realizing that everyone's middle way is different too which is so beautiful and that we all get to have our own expression of our relationship with the natural world and how we choose to create our our lifestyle our life way and how we how we spend our days really is just a reflection of who we are yeah. and what we value. I would add to what we value and what we want to, to nurture. Yeah. And I mean, and the way I look at it too, is like, you know, that, that idea that, you know, not everyone's going to have the same experience or should expect the same experience. And I think that's totally right. But part of me thinks like, you know, the idea that we're all sort of special in the sense that we're all unique, like, you know, Right now in existence, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who's me, right? As far as I know, I can only see me where I'm at, but let's yeah. just go with that, right? Yeah. And I think that me and then Sophia and then you are these very special little time, time capsules or, or little specific times of experience and everything else. And it's like the idea that you'd want this little, this perfect little snowflake sort of in a sense this, this, like, cause only you could be you, only you can have the thoughts that you've had, have the experience you've had. That's, that's the only thing it is. And like, yeah, you wouldn't want to ever sort of try to expect that experience to be anything other than what it should be, which is whatever the person who's sort of at the helm, I guess, of this body or that body, like whatever the experience that is meant to be had is, I think sort of like built into the fact that we're different. It's like, I'm supposed to have a different journey. That's why I'm here and you're having a different journey. And that's why you're there and you're sitting next to me. So a part of our journey links up, but we're still also having different journeys because we are at the end of the day, different people, yeah. but it's like, um, yeah, that's, 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 that's a really important sort of special idea too, that like expect sort of what from yourself, what you think you need or what you need to do. But it's like, you have to really kind of have space or give space, I guess, maybe in a sense where everyone can kind of do that journey, right? Where it's like, all right, well, you know what? Hey, we're doing this kind of thing and you might not like that. And that's, that's fine. You know, you got to do what's best for you. And that's, that's kind of like, when you start at that, it's like, even if you could be like on a totally different journey, you could even be pulling at uh, in a tug of war in a sense where you're both fighting each other in a sense. But if you have that sort of like that base level, what's like, Hey, well, you know what? You got to walk your path and I got to walk mine. And, you know, we're going to run into each other at some point, but let's try to do it as lovingly as we can. <laughs> and then I don't know, like, I mean, it's, I, it's that, that little base level where it's like, that's, I think that's one of the, the most key respects that we can have for sort of each other. It's like, 
you got to walk your path and I got to walk my path. And who am I to tell you what path you should be walking on? Because I certainly don't know where I'm going and I don't know anybody else. Maybe, maybe there's someone who knows where they're going. I don't, I don't really think so. At least from my, my tools of perception, I can't even understand how that would be totally possible at all anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I think that is the pieces I love. Or one of the pieces I love the most about holding that container is seeing what comes through people. So you just create this space, this different environment. There's nobody's really telling you what to do. Like there's some structure, of course. And, you know, but if someone's guided to something, the follow that thread, you know, and then you get to see just whatever wants to flourish and like come out at that moment in time for that person. And it's, it's a gift really to, to hold that space and, and to watch and, and see and, and facilitate just whatever wants to come up for that person. And also different landscapes, different times of year will definitely influence that, you know, like, especially, yeah, we all know what winter can do. And like winter has its own energy. So if you're outside in the winter, you're going to have way different teachings than if you're, you know, out in the fall. And that's what I love about just like diversity. People are drawn to different plants for whatever reason, you know, someone might not even be interested in plants and all they want to do is like swim every day and just like get to know the spring or like work with water management and flow. It. So it's, it's amazing to, again, it's tapping into that, that innate desire, that innate calling, because we all, I, w- I, I would say it would be very rare for someone not to be happy or more grounded in nature, right? It's just like instinct. So and that just made me think too of um, of how how our ancestors all would have looked at the world so differently. Like if you if you look at the old myths, they talk about these spirits, right, or these beings that are in the forest. And what you're describing in modern language is basically a being. A being is just like something, a, a thing, basically just a being. And that being is calling this person to a particular plant. Now they think this idea comes from inside them. But I mean, you know, who knows who's to say how far inside them goes, right? So basically, they're pulled in a certain direction by an energy or something. There's something that pulls them there. And so I think back to like when our ancestors are talking about it, they need to give it a name, right? So maybe they said, the wind spoke to me, you know? Or maybe they said, I was walking in the trees and this tree spoke to me. So it's like, maybe it wasn't like the tree was like grew lips and started speaking in your language to you. Maybe something pulled you to that tree and it directed your attention. And like, I think when you start thinking about that, it really changes how we should properly look at our ancestors and what they thought. And this idea that sort of we were uncivilized and now we're civilized as if we went through sort of an evolution in a sense. And it's like, no, there's what they were talking about is something that we don't even have the language to properly understand today. The experience that they were having, they were using the language they had at the time they had it to describe that thing, but that thing still exists today. It's just not what we think it is. We're, we're projecting on them that they thought about what they were experiencing, what we think they were experiencing. Mm-hmm. But once you get out in the nature and you start being pulled in these different directions, you kind of like, oh, they're talking about like winter, the energy of winter. Like you're talking about that. You can understand why winter might be represented as an old woman who's kind of cold and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, 
oh, they're not talking about an old woman in the bush. They're talking about winter, the energy of winter. winter. Yeah. And tell the story so that we can all remember this as tribes. We will tell the story of the old woman who, you know, would steal children if they wandered off by themselves in the winter. And it was like, if you wander off in the bush by yourself and you're a kid and you don't know how to survive, you'll freeze to death and die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. watch out for woman winter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like when you when you start thinking about that, it's like we have we have uh, an extremely rich culture that's been lost a bunch of times. It's it's funny because there's this idea of like we talk about the evolution of man, but it's it's interesting because I think it's more of like a fall of man kind of in a sense where it's like we fall into material in a sense. And then we realize that material is sort of like dead in a sense. And then we rediscover how the whole world around us is alive. And then we kind of reascend again and then forget (laughs) that and fall back down but yeah the funny thing is is like if you think about reality it's like wouldn't it be kind of boring if everything just got really really good and then it was great and then that's it the end of (laughs) all right we're done now let's wrap it up no more reality necessary let's compute we'll make a computer game or something and we'll just do that for the rest of time it's like (laughs) well the universe had a different plan it's like no you guys will get up here and that'll be great we'll have a whole lot of fun and then there's going to be a solar flare. You're not going to see it coming, but it's going to happen. We're going to start over again because I'm bored. I'm the universe. I need something to do. And you guys are it. That's why I created you. Because I think about that too. The universe, all that means, like when our ancestors talk about, say, like God, there's like there was nothing and then there was something. And then that something created everything. All right. So there was a big bang. And that big bang sort of created a whole bunch of stuff that eventually became what we are. And so basically we're the universe that became conscious so it could experience itself Mm. at the very base level. So even if you believe in like totally a scientific orientation to the world, it's like we're still inanimate objects become conscious experiencing itself because we all come from the same big bang, even in that theory. So we all come from the same thing. We're all going back to the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's what we are. But anyways, (laughs) I feel like I can talk to you for, for forever. And, uh, we're at the end of our, our, our time here. So could, oh, you wow. please, yeah. uh, could you please tell people where they could get a hold of you and how they could uh, get involved with this kind of experience? And maybe just talk a little bit about the program itself, like take your yes, time and sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. And just explain it just so everybody could kind of know what it's about. Yeah. So I think the best way to, to kind of have all the pieces together is the website, which is findingpolaris.org. We're also on Instagram and Facebook, but all of those links would be on the website. The wild tending program is kind of our baseline program right now. We have three 10 day experiences where you would come to the land and the land is on Manitoulin Island and you would spend 10 days there in the context of that program. All the information about the program is also on the website. And yeah, the first one in June is almost full already and then there'll be one in July and August and they're they're intimate groups because this work is we're not here to stay on the superficial level we're really diving in deep in in a lot of ways and so yeah there are five five participants per group and yeah we have a membership program also on our website that you can you can support us in different ways and just have more access to different content of of the project but yeah definitely the website would be the best place to start okay yeah okay well thank you very much
No problem. Thank you. This was this was enjoyable and, and fun. Yeah. Good laughs. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. All right. Thanks.